the winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 30th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. This episode is a little bit different in that it's a conversation I had with two people who I've previously spoken to individually for the podcast. After I released Alistair McLean's episode last year, Nick Turnbull said to me that I could have got deeper in on some of the fishing things, so I thought it would be a good idea to put the two of them together and see what happened when they chatted. We cover a huge amount of ground in this episode. It's very local, and if you know the areas that they're talking about, it's great to hear their pasts brought to life. Some of the tales are quite remarkable. I was particularly amused by the section where we start to talk about mines washing up and being tangled in nets and things like that. (laughs) It's terrifying. We do go into depth about fishing at certain points too. In the near future, I'd like to hear the perspective of a younger fisherman on this as well, to offer another perspective on the current state of fishing and its sustainability. That's something for the future though. There are a couple of references that we don't pick up in the recording immediately, first of which is the Robert Limbrick, which tragically came aground at Queenish in 1957, and the MTBs that Alistair refers to are motor torpedo boats, which are left over from the Second World War. Also, the whole What We Do in the Winter project has been sponsored in kind by the Island Bakery, and everyone who takes part in it gets a complimentary packet of lemon melts. The website whatwedointhewinter.com, has links to the topics covered in our chat. Right, enough from me. I hand you over now to Alistair McLean and Nick Turnbull. So who are you? I'm Alistair McLean. And I'm Nick Turnbull. And we are here in Tobermory today. So yeah, let's, if we start off with having a look at the coastline around the north end of Mull, particularly Queenish kind of way. So Nick, when you first started fishing here on Mull, where did you sail out of? Croig. It was, was um, when we first came here, there was uh, the wee harbour at Croig, nothing in it at all. And it looked like a, a great spot to fish from. And I think Alec Barnard, he would have been fishing off a Queenish a bef- yeah, few years so before, I don't know how many years. And Ian, Big Ian used to fish out of Croig when he had the skiff. All oh, right, I didn't know that. I would think it would be around about, the f- about 1950, I would think, oh, about right. then, or maybe 51. Yeah. Around about here, I skiff for right. two or three years, you know. All but right. I think it was, um, I don't think it was awful successful at that time because yeah. the, the, the Malig main, remember, yeah. when they were down, there was about seven boats of them and they were hammering the place quite. Right. And it was, you know, there just yeah. wasn't the, the lobsters yeah. are hammering. So. Uh, but he worked out there. Ah, you know, I didn't know that. I never knew that. Well, like, man used to keep his lobsters in where yeah. your boat is yeah. nowadays. You know, that's yeah. he had a lot of fresh boats. water on that Queenish side. That's no use over yeah. there. Yeah. He, but he kept his boat over there, didn't he? On the he Queenish. kept it in anchor at, in oh. Queenish, just up past where the old boat shed was. Yeah. That's where he was. Would that have been the late 60s, maybe? Or? Well, he, he was fishing up till, oh, I would think probably the the early 50s, you know, right. and then he, he, you know, although he was still doing a little, he wasn't doing an awful lot, yeah, yeah. because his, when his brother John died, you know, there was various people, one or two went with him, but it, it was never quite the same. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I remember hearing stories of his, it was Pedro that told me about his big fishing that he had in Mingaray and 
and Kuhn one time. Yes, that's right. I can't remember. It was it was, it was like almost a hundred percent. It was. Aye, that's true. Yes, and, and um, that was just lobsters we were at yeah. that time. I was it eleven dozen out of. It was just a few creels they had, you know, maybe. 30 or 40 or something like that, but it was it was great what they got. That's right, it was almost dozens. Aye. And you know, when I was out in the, the outer aisle last summer, we stayed in a bed and breakfast and the, the, the husband was a lobster fisherman and he brought a, brought a big rake of stuff in into the sink to eat. And I said, oh, you had a good day? And he said, oh, yeah, so many dozens. That's right. So they're still talking in dozens. Yes. <laughs> yes that's what's the normal, what was the usual measurement now? Well, we kilos, kilos, yeah, kilos or kilos numbers, but uh, I, yeah, it, it was quite a traditional thing to talk about dozens. Yeah, or boxes. Or boxes. And our, well, coming up to our time, it was more boxes you'd be yeah, talking about. I think it was what was Have a boxer. Well, a box in these days would be, what, 70, 80 pounds, yeah. depending if it was lobster from the islands, which were smaller, you'd get about 80 pounds in that yeah. box. But yeah. bigger lobsters, Obviously, you wouldn't get so many, you know. Mm. But that was uh, that was what it was. So when did the lobster fishing start? Well, they must have been doing it a long time because my great-grandfather, uh, Alexander McDougall from Hal, now they, when they were fishing, they used to come to Tormori to sell a lobster because they'd sail up with a skiff. And there was a guy up here used to buy them. I think there was some fellow with a, a, a boat used to come round and collect them too and take them away. But it, it, maybe it was these kind of boats were a tank in them, a hole, you know. Yeah. It, but these days they were open to the sea, you know, yeah. and that's how they were. But they used to come in there because they were... I think like Bond used to talk about something like a shilling a dozen sort of mm. thing, you know. That was the kind of thing. But a shilling might a lot in these yeah, days, yeah. presumably, you know. And that, that's what they used to do. But, uh, th- well, I don't know. He he was um, born in 1840, my great-grandfather. There was an Alan McDougall, and he used to do a bit of fishing. And I think there was other ones, you know, in the... Yeah. It it was it wasn't the fishing. It was maybe just later on when the Robertsons and all these yeah, were at yes. it. But it was still, you know, a thing. It was. I always remember Alec Mann talking about it, and he was saying when he was young, you know, they used to go out there to the islands. That's where they they, they went for most of the time, and up Lahore, and it used to be fishing, and you wouldn't get a, a mackerel. He was saying it was all garnered. Crotons, as you call them in Gaelic. Mm-hmm. And very few mackerel. Huh. Now, it shows how things change yeah. over the years. Yeah. You know? That's not so many now. No. But, uh, probably, I would think the railways, that might have been a turning point when the railways came, when they could get them. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, from Oban, you could get to, to almost to Billingsgate in a day, oh, yeah, I would think. Mm-hmm. So that would have, that might have been a, a big turning point from the point of view of getting rid of them. But then there was there was also the steamers. Yeah. You know, once the steamer started, and there was the service going from here to Glasgow, regular, you know, the, they would be every week, I suppose. So they would probably be sending them away down the, with that as well. But I think, as far as uh, our crew were concerned, they, they were selling them to whoever was buying them here, yeah. and then they got moved on. That seemed to be the way it worked. Yeah, it just progressed over the years until... Eventually, you're selling them direct into Spain with a 
in a lorry with water in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we were at it, you know, when we were the monks' beauty, I don't know if you remember that, they had the the tanks in Oban on the pier, yeah. George Macaulay. Yeah, indeed. Remember that? And then yeah. they moved down to to Galanach, you know, yeah. down the Kerala Sound. But before that, there was a man, George Leslie, in Kerala that used to buy lobsters. And he had a big, I don't know, it was an old landing craft. He had some kind of vessel anyway. They used to, the water got in and out of it, and they used to pull it up on the beach to get the lobsters out, and he was getting rid of them. But that's where they, they kept them in there. Well, that was pre, pre my day. I remember Macaulay and the, and the tanks of Gallanach. Yeah, well. And the, pri- and the prime and the seconds was. Uh, <laughs> And a couple <laughs> as many as many seconds as there were prime always, <laughs> which again changed once the Spanish market came into it. Really, didn't yes. it? it took a much uh-huh. bigger lobster and uh-huh. went so fussy. Two and a half pound was the limit. Yeah, at that time for the uh-huh. prime ones. What is it now? The there really isn't. Um, okay. uh, some of them all will be a wee bit fussy about uh, cripples. Yes, but. It's basically an all-in price now for... Any? I think if they're very large, I think the Tyree boys sometimes get slightly less for their monsters that they get yeah. out there, but... Um, At what age would the monsters be? Would they kind of be... 50 years old? I don't know. I don't know. It just seems to be that there are areas where there are big lobsters, isn't it? I think a lot of it's to do with the ground, too. Yeah. You know, if you've got boulders, big boulders, or you've got shelving mm. bottom, you know, where there's big cracks and... Places for them to hide. Yeah, they do it definitely need that, you know, because there's, there's certain places that you'll not get big lobster. Yeah, the, the places you do get them, you know, the fishing that was on nowadays, you know, they don't maybe get the same chance to grow to that size. Certainly, well, most of the places seem that way, but Tyree still gets ah, but that that is see that out of Tyree, west of Skerrybore. There's a big area of bouldery kind of ground runs away down into the deep water there. I think a lot of these lobsters they get there comes up out of that yeah. water. Definitely. Yeah. I would say anyway. I was also I was thinking one time um, when Hector had the that Vive boat he had mm-hmm. and he Alex Roberts. But yeah, when he was fishing St Kilda, I remember we were landing alongside him on, to Macaulay, I think it must have been. Or or maybe David Lindsay, I can't remember anyway. A huge lobster, those ones from St. Kilda. They were the length of <laughs> of fish boxes. What? Mm. They were enormous things. Oh, my goodness. And the fishery officer was down there with, <laughs> with his wee measure trying to <laughs> measure these monsters to see if they were on the size. Or, uh, just crazy. Um, that's the thing that we used to speak about. To preserve lobster fishing... All the lobsters over that two and a half pound, the female lobsters over two and a half pound, should have been returned. Mm. And if they had done that all these years ago, mm. it would have made a huge difference because these lobsters usually carry an awful lot of spawn. Yeah, the these bigger ones, yeah. Yeah. you know that. And that that is one of the things. Yeah. And it didn't matter what people would suggest because maybe before your time, you weren't allowed to land berry lobsters yeah, for a while. That, right. They stopped that, but then. Everybody and their granny used to scrub the berries mm. off them, mm. which was ridiculous, you know. It, it, it yeah. wasn't a good idea, that. I think now the... Um, sorry, my memory's bad, but I can't remember the exact weight. But the, the large females have got to go back. Over. I think I think it's actually yeah. the males too now. Mm. 
I'm not certain, but I'm certain that the large females have to go back over the yeah. side now, which is, it doesn't matter for the guys around here, but it, the, I think the Tyree guys have to put back quite a lot of ah, stuff, yeah. when, as you say, when they're But there's out. a benefit long term. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think everyone knows that now. Ah. And, you know, the days of the, you know, people doing things like the scrubbing are, would, wouldn't happen. Well, you'd hope they wouldn't happen. Well, yeah. Yeah, you'd hope they wouldn't happen. <laughs> but mind you, today... One of the things before the stop that, that they were beginning to do was, you know, when when you you see a lobster respawning, it's like a cobwebs that hold the spawn on it. And if they were scrubbing them, that is still on these wee fins in the, mm. in the, under the tail of the lobster, yeah. and you can detect it, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it, it wouldn't be so easy done now. But I think these bigger sea lobsters, I don't, think the big ones of the he variety makes a great deal of difference, yeah. but certainly the small ones. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, from what I can see, the younger guys, they're, they're really quite into looking after the stocks better now, mainly because they've got to, you know. And, uh, the, and, the, and the fishing is, I mean, you know, when you were at it, you had spells off where you'd mend gear and yeah. tarring, and, and then you would go to prawns or sprats yeah, or, yeah. whereas now they're at it full time uh, okay they've got the crab now and the prawns of course but, but I, th I think the thing nowadays is the, the krill number that's something that should be addressed the number of krills that's in the water yeah. see the thing is when, when we were at it you net there at first we never carried any more than what you could carry in the boats we had see mm -hmm. with that monk's beauty we could carry 250 krills maximum but about 200 would be what you'd be looking at now you shifted you went to coral you went to thorns you went to isla you went all over the place because you had these krills and you could take them with you and you shifted the ground every single day mm. but nowadays you know the stuff's out there and it's out for days yeah. you know and with these uh, parlor krills nowadays too that's another thing you know that yeah. at one time with the you'd always get some, but there must have been quite a lot of them getting back out. Yeah, you know, yeah. Once, once they've got the bait, the easiest way is back out the eye. Uh -huh. Whereas in the parlour, they go into the parlour and that's more difficult to, for them to get out, if not impossible almost. Do you think that's affected the octopus numbers as well? Because the, the, the octopus go, will go into a creel and take what's in there as well quite a lot of the time. Have you seen a growth in the numbers? rings is more... There's a lot of octopus on the ground now. It's certain times of the year. Times of the year, yeah. yeah. But I do think, I suppose the temperatures have maybe risen. There is a thing between the, the, the water temperature and the octopus. Mind there was always octopuses, you know, because yeah. you used to go off your rocker from days, especially at the weekends. <laughs> if, if your curls were out, you know, the, the Saturday and Sunday and you didn't get back till Monday, there'd be nothing but shells left, you know. God. Yeah, so a dab hand at getting... Uh, killing the lobster and getting all the meat out. Uh, I didn't know how it worked a long, for a long time, but there was a scientist, uh, I think it was Mali, and we were talking about it one day, and I said to him, I don't know how that octopus manages it. Well, I said, he's got a thing like a drill, and he can drill down and inject this stuff into the flesh of the lobster, and then it liquidises and he sucks it out. Mm. I never knew that before that. I mean, that's the way he used to fight with a bigger shell. Yeah, just an empty shell. Uh, he was some boy.
I think the water is warming up. I'm sure of that. It's, oh, uh, it is. Yeah. This winter in particular has been the water has been warmer than. I mean, the oysters, for example, haven't. We reckon they haven't stopped growing this winter, which is, you know, that's quite good. Uh, well, it's great, but it's that's a first. I would say we've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And that's in twenty odd years of operation. Yeah, you know, usually you get this dead period of January, February, March, but this year is. Right the way through, there's been good shell growth and stuff has con- continued to grow. So even the flowers, though. Yeah. At Christmas time, we had the daffodils out there were wanting to mm. come out. You know. Yeah. Never used to see that till about this time of year, really. You know, Mark. It's a different thing. What do you think is going to happen in the sea with with the temperatures going up like that? Is that going to how's that going to affect? Oh, things will just change. Mm. You know, after the same as they've always changed. You know and. I mean, these, this is something that's been going on for a long, long time, you know. <laughs> we think it's just recent, but it it is because this is our time. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's that's a thing. Yeah, it was interesting. I was looking at your, some photographs of your, uh, when you were fishing the sprats, and, and it must have been in Loch Nakiel, in the, in the Aquila. Yeah. Some good photographs there. And um, remembering that, that one winter that George and I worked with you and Ian and thinking now people would hardly believe that, you know, two boats coming alongside in sometimes not fantastic well, conditions, no, no. <laughs> jumping from one boat to the other because the net was, it was hauled by hand uh-huh. until you got to the yeah. cod end. Mm-hmm. I think in fact there were three boats, there was always another, was there another boat that used to be with you as well? Well, there was um, Campbell Reed from from um, Oban with a barrel. Yeah. They were with us. At, uh, well, they, they used to f- fish with Ian before we got the ah, Aquila, right. you know, and but she was very small and underpowered, that boat, and it was a problem, you know, with yeah, yeah. the town and the nets. But uh, that's the way it was. You just yeah, yeah. got on with it. But it wasn't until we got the power blocks that things improved a lot, you know. Our boat was launched in 72, and uh, I think it was the following winter probably we uh, fitted the, the, the power block because everything's yeah. hauled by hand then. Yeah, I think it was that was the first year you'd got the Aquila, the year we that were with Big Ian. Yeah, that would be right, that would be 70. The, the, it would be the winter of 72, 73. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah. Our second, I think it was our second, second year on Mull. It's quite an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> Even the tea making was there. <laughs> Not a lot of sleep. So, what what changes do you think are going to come in terms of fishing from from how it's been from when you started off? What have, what have you seen change bet, uh, between the course of would, both of your careers? I, I would say technology's been the big problem, really. Problem rather than solution. No, it's a problem, I think, because it's just too complicated. Well, it's too easy now. That's oh, yeah. the problem. Well, when I started with Robin, when he had the, mm. the Valiant and the, 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 the wee speed wall, first of all, there was no echo sounders. Yeah. So all your fishing had to be around the shores, mm. you know. Yeah. So all the stuff that was offshore yeah. was there as a reserve, you know, for coming up. But then he got a... A sounder, it was a, a ferrograph, it was called. A wee thing like that, you know, just small, but it, it had dry paper in it. Oh, yes. And uh, that was that was just, you just couldn't believe yeah. it, you know, how great this thing was. And it was from there 
folk started going offshore, you know. But previously to that, there was some of the bigger Malik boats had the, had the wet paper, Kelvin Hughes MS-29, I think it was. And uh, it was it was Louis Kennedy, and he had a wee boat called the Coronation. And he was the first one to fish off Trishnish Head. All right, right. And up in the middle of Loch Atua was another place, yeah. you know, between Potronach and across yeah. the Alva side, yeah. from there up. Now, he used to just go out there and shoot the creels. He was saying, you didn't need to look to see yeah. whether there was mud or not. And it was that big yeah. lobster right? yeah, yeah. he was getting there. He spent a whole winter in there. But that that was the demise starting then. Mm. At that time, everybody made their own gear as well. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. restricted you to the number of creels that you were likely to be able to use. Exactly. Yeah. But then... Along come the steel creels and all the rest of it, and Kakurlin uh, covers. You see, yeah. before that it was Manila, Arshaisal, yeah. and that stuff, you had to tar it at least once a year. And, you know, over, the crabs were devils, they would burst out of it, you know. And <laughs> it, that, that restricted the fishing, but then the Pahang cane came in instead of the hazel for the bows, you know, and it's, it's just been a progression, you know, and, and things, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. These things always improve the fishing till the fishing is at its limit. Yeah. And the fishing's been at its limit now for far too long, really, you know. That yeah. wasn't the concern. Yeah, I mean, I think well, what's happened now with the movement into the crab, the crab was tickling along because it was quite a low price. Yeah. So no. there, were, there were boats in in it and local boats were doing it but suddenly with that see that increase in price in the last couple of years there's a huge influx now and, and these these super I mean there's, uh, there's, there's yeah. half a dozen of them being yeah. built um, you yeah. know and th- these boats are fishing one to two thousand creels oh yeah and three thousand creels yeah. you can even see the pressure now and round about here they're, they're coming in closer and closer yeah. and and that's the economics of that is that the Spanish market opened up. Is that right? It's, it's well, it's the Chinese market that's really uh, really changed the, the the whole scene. The Chinese very specific female crab of a certain size and quality, and they 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 flying them out and, and uh, making really good money out of out of that. But there's still the bulk going to Spain. So the, this Brexit thing is a real nightmare for yes. For all the boys, not having any clear answer here is no. is, is not good. Um, certainly, it's the Chinese, and must have increased that little, um, given it that little bit of extra, um, taking away the the excess crab, you know, yeah. creating a bit more demand. Just pushed the, suddenly pushed it, the it's price. Got to, it's got to sort of have some big effect, and at least Irish crab is working out there. I mean, they're, they're working out. The Southern Irish ones are working into the 12-mile limit all the yeah. way up there, from from Northern Ireland yeah. right the way up past the Hebrides at the moment. Yeah. Now, these boats, I don't know what they're getting at the moment, but, I mean, that Edward Henry, when it was working down there between Duerchich and the Torrance a few years back, mm. he was getting 24 tonne mm. a week. Yeah. Now, with the best will in the world, mm. there's a limit to how much Absolutely. that... Absolutely. You know, yeah. No, I mean, definitely. Uh, it can't go on. It's the only unrestricted fishery that there yeah. is, actually. Yeah. Well, these Irish boats, when Callum was out there, I mean, he had fleets of 100. 
but they had fleets of 200 creels, and they would haul maybe 20 creels or something in, and then they would throw the end out the stern, and as they were hauling in the creels, the other ones were going out the stern. You, you were into miles. We worked out, so it was like two and a half miles or something, more than that. One fleet of creels. One, one fleet. What? Mm-hmm. You know, the minute there's a value in something, then and if there's no restriction on it, then yeah. people will take advantage of that. And it's up. To, it's up to, you know, the governments really. I mean, eight years ago when we had that Mull and Small Isles IFG, we had a plan and everybody agreed on creel numbers. It went to the Scottish government, and then all of a sudden things changed. So that area that we were talking about got engulfed into the West Coast Regional IFG, which covers from the Solway to Orkney. And that plan just simply disappeared. And all the investment that went into it. And all the time and energy and, and getting the local guys to agree on creel numbers. And they were all for it, you know. So you, you start again, you're starting again. Yeah. Um, and it's harder because this is a bigger area now. And, you know, one area is... More than another. Well, one area will disagree with them. How is it getting fishermen's fishermen to work together on something like that? Is that? I mean, we've talked in the past, and it's a solitary trade, really. So, how is it to bring fishermen together as a union or as a body? How does it work? I think it works out of necessity, doesn't it? Would you yeah. say that? If 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 there's a, a threat or a, an advantage yeah. to, to doing something together, then that's when it. Comes. Well, what, when, you, when you look back at what the herring was like, uh, they used to have, they fished for the market more or less. You know, the, there'd be a lot of herring and half the blooming stuff would have to be dumped because there was no buyer to cope with it. So what they would do is they would put restriction on then, and it was, this was agreed by everybody, that you would have, say, 10 cran, just for example, 10 cran a man a night. So if there was five men, you had 50 cran. And that took it down from, say, having 150 cran. And everybody, and it was a pool system they worked. It depended on the times you were in uh, between certain hours. If you were in, that was one separate pool. So everybody had herring in that pool. When it was sold, the average price was taken. So that's what you got. Now, that worked well, and it worked really well, because... It meant that everybody got a share of the yeah. cake, yeah. and it didn't. That's remarkable, yeah. It didn't, you know, spoil the market. Mm. But then this is what one of the problems that happened with the crab there was too. You know, I think there was far too much crab coming in. Yeah, yeah. And it that was. didn't help matters. But then it's to get people to agree, and it puts the price down, and that's mm. that's the other thing. Yeah. yeah. But that worked well with herring. Yeah. And they did that. But you know you're absolutely right. They will have to do something on creel numbers and and and, and the stock because, oh, as you yeah. say, I mean, if you multiply that tonnage, it can't, you know, and not enough is known. There's very little known about crab. I mean, through through this project that we're doing here, they are doing trying to do some work on it. There's tagging going on, which is quite interesting. Yeah, seeing the movements. Yes. So that, I don't know whether they've. I mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. <laughs> just yeah. the movements of uh, so the male crab stay put, but the female crab are always moving south. <laughs> um, they're not sh- exactly sure why, but they think maybe the eggs are 
when they they're doing moving south because the the drift the Atlantic drift is making the eggs move back to where they came from. North, yeah. But it's only a supposition at the Probably moment. Oh. But they're, they're traveling. Some of them are traveling huge distances. You know, they're released in Orkney and getting picked up in in the Outer Hebrides and Sky. And, uh, so you know, they're, they're really tramping along some yeah. of these crabs. But the males stay put. The boys around here are releasing them, and and generally speaking, they are all moving south. Uh, But it's early days. Yeah, they've only just been doing it since uh, last October. And what's the the growth rate for a crab? To get up to a marketable size, how long does it take? I don't know. I I don't know that anybody's got uh, any of these answers. Well, I'm sure the scientists will. Mm-hmm. should have the answers but I mean uh, it, it, it's got to be a finite amount of crab in the sea isn't there yeah. I mean, and, and if they're coming south <laughs> the ones the guys at the bottom of the south end <laughs> are they getting less and less and less I don't yeah. know and they eat um, bits from the bottom don't they they're sort of bottom feeders and things that are yeah. along the bottom end and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scavengers, really. <laughs> and one, of, one of the weirdest things I've never understood I don't know if you've you you will know for certain, but uh, the, the swell, good swell, and the creels are packed with oh, crab. Yeah, yeah. And no swell, and they're... if you get easterly wind or north easterly yeah. wind for a day or two, it's the same with the lobster. They yeah. just stop feeding like that. Yeah. What do you think? Is it pressure in the water? Well, or? I was I was asking a scientist before about this, and his take on it. And I mean, who knows? It was just his thought. He said that when you get wind coming from the north or the northeast or the east there, it's blowing the warm water mm. off the shore and the cold water from the deep comes in underneath it mm. and that slows down... The metabolism. The, aye, it just... They don't... Oh. That was his take on yeah. it. I don't know whether that was right or wrong, but that's what he thought anyway. So, but you know for sure that that's happened because it's like... Yeah. You know, the minute you see the swell in the water, you know the crabs will be... Oh, having a party. Even the lobsters themselves. Yeah. There's nothing. You know, it just get. But I think, too, if you look at a shore that's got swell in it, it's getting a lot of aerated water. You know, the water water is boiling away all the time. So it's obviously something... Maybe that has got an angle on it as well. Mm. I don't know. But it's definitely that... uh, as well as a thing. These things are all, yeah, they're, they're bits of nature. It's like the prawns too, isn't it? The tides on the prawns made, and the creels, remember, made. Yeah. The, the, the strong tides in the prawns took off. Yeah. And the, the neap tides, they were, they were get better fishing. Yeah. There were places, mind you, I haven't said that, with a Calahon here. Now you could go and you could, even with a troll there, you could troll there and get prawns during a strong tide. You go anywhere or down the passage or anything like that, and they were no, not so much. But West of Inskenet, there, there was bit, a bit in there I used to go to, and when the tide was strong, I don't know whether it was an eddy I was there, mm. where the tide wasn't really bothering them a great deal. You know, you had the tide coming out of Screed and the tide coming out of Loch Nakeel and that, and there was a bit in there. They always used to get yeah. get stuff in there. Yeah. It was it was peculiar, you know. Yeah. It definitely had a big effect on them, and, it, yeah. and certainly even in the on the prawn grills you would yeah. see it, you know. Yeah, I remember at Vascadale, you'd see it very clearly on the, the oh, tides. Yes. yes. Uh, Speaking of which, 
If I could mm. tell you a funny wee story, I don't know whether I told you this one, Alistair, when we were up at Vaskadale. Mm. We'd just gone up, it was a March, in March. We'd not long been up there. And it was quite a good day, a nice calm day. And I think I must have relaxed a wee bit. And I got a loop of rope around my boot. I always wore size, one size too big, so the boot would come off. Yeah. So, way it went with the rope. At least my foot was yeah. out of it. And it was still bloody cold because it was March. So I thought, well, we're not going to go back because, what, two and a half hours from Croig up to to Faskadale. So I went in and took my peace box out of my co-op bag and wrapped the co-op bag around my socks. So at least it kept a bit of heat in. Padded about all day in this one co-op bag and one boot. And then we we came back into Croig into the and um, just unloading the boxes because there were there was before tubes it was boxes, and these tourists came down the pier, and they said, "Have you got any prawns?" So you know, this is absolutely true. You can ask George this, and they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we've got some prawns in these boxes here." And they said, and they said "Well, have you got anything to put them in?" And everyone looked around. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and my, took the co-op bag off my foot, filled the bag full of prods, and they're going. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to boil that spider. <laughs> oh, well, that was a good one. It was, uh, it, just, it was really quite funny at the time. Obviously, know the landscape of the, the the surface. You know the the topography, of the land above, but you also know the land below, and you know what's there and when. Mm-hmm. That is an extraordinary amount of knowledge to hold in one head, because that's particularly the kind of the whole area of the west coast of Scotland, or this part of the west of Scotland. Mm-hmm. You understand how how it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you? How, is it through tr- trial and error, but or is it passed down knowledge from? Oh, from... A lot of it's just trial and error, really. You know, you will certainly get knowledge. I know from what Alec Mann told me when I was young. You know, I used that certainly, especially about handling boats and how you know following sea. That was the thing that he, he always would be drumming into you. You know, it was coming down to the kayak there, and the, maybe southwest wind and a good breeze. And the, and the swell, and he would, my father would be at the engine, you know, the engine was up in the middle of the boat, and he would be watching the sea coming behind, you know, quite big curlers, and he would be shouting to him, slow it down, <laughs> and he would slow it down to let the sea break past you. Now, this was a thing that a lot of people never realised. If you were getting a sea coming up the stern, and you keep the speed you had, when you go over that wave, you go full steam and you'll broach. Yeah. Now, that was one of the things I never ever forgot. That, mm. You know, and it, it, these are just small things, but things that are very important later on in your life. You know, what I found about the the, the seabed anyway was that when you were working with the echo sounders once they came on stream, you could see the same as looking out the window and mm. seeing the land there. You could see what in your mind what was under the sea, and that. I remember coming from Oban one night and it was Alastair, my cousin, 
bloch that was at the wheel and he, he shouted me at our mower, he said, oh, the fog's terrible, and it was, it was thick. Well, maybe we should go back to Toba if we can. I said, well, carry on. So I worked with a meter where I, you had the coarseness, you know, for, mm. for running the compass, but with the meter, you could tell the ground you were going over mm. more or less where you were mm. exactly. Mm. And we went right down, right down between the islands, and we shot just another side of Staffa, and we're towing in and out from sort of Benes into North Iona there. I for nearly a whole day, and we had never seen any land. But that was just because you roughly knew yeah. where what was, was under the sea. Ah, well, it's just like a shepherd in the hill or anything like that. You know, yeah. you get to know your patch. And that was it. But see, in these days too, as far as navigating was concerned, if it was a day that you could see, yeah. it was landmarks we worked mm, on. Yeah. Everything was done on landmarks, you know, where towels that you would have or where peaks were or anything like that. It was all with landmarks. I mean, we didn't have data till I got the Aquila in 1972 and that. And even then it wasn't very good because data needed, if, if it wasn't on a square, it was, you know, more on a triangle and it narrowed. And the, the signal was coming from here and it was coming from there. If it was square, it was accurate. But if it was at a bit more of a diamond, it wasn't nearly so accurate. And then in the mornings and in the evenings, with the atmospherics, it affected it as well. So, it, it, he just built up an understanding of that, of what was going on under the, the sea, you know. I think Alistair too's right. I think starting in small boats too, you get that feel of the sea and the shoreline and what you can do and what you can't do, and then I mean, that's a great starting point, having a small a small boat, I would say, to, to learn. Which brings that. us into, you talked about the landscapes and the and knowing which bits was which were which. We're all kind of from this north end of, of Mull here. But your your patch, when you were fishing, was all the way around all... And when you were fishing, Nick, as well, where did you go? Did you, you went up? Uh, I mean, Alistair was fishing, as he said when, earlier on, when he, when he had the Max Beauty, he could put his creels and go to Isla, or could go to um, Barrahead, or mm. you were all over the place. Um, whereas we were very much more, we only had a small boat, so we just were very much local between here and Treshnish Head, really, and sometimes the islands in the summertime, um, Treshnish Islands. And then it changed anyway, because all the boats became smaller boats. No one was staying out for a week, really, then. No, but what, what happened with that was, in the days, you know, when the Mali boys were at it and we started, there wasn't nearly as many small boats round the coast mm. as there became, you know, up, yeah. up, up into the what, late 70s, 80s and that yeah. sort of thing. And then it wasn't worth your while shift because there was always somebody in front yeah. of you before yeah. you could move knowing, well, it's very light, unlikely there'll be anybody there for exactly. weeks, you know. That's right. That's what kind of curtailed that. Yeah, I mean, there were the, the, yeah. in the 70s, like the Halmatic started producing all those right. 26 yeah. and 29 foot Aye. and 30, 36, 36 foot, foot boats, yeah. you know, mass produced boats and two, it, two man was... crew, two man crew. I mean, Alistair's boats were three, three of you on, usually on the Manx Beauty. It was three on the Manx but you needed somebody at the winch. You exactly. Know? There was no creel haulers on yeah. these, it was just a winch and a davit and the rail you used, you know. And that was a big improvement because 
when the Malik men started here first, I remember seeing them at the islands and it was handholding the way it was. Mind you, we handholding. <laughs> we handholding as well. Well, I probably weren't working more than maybe 150, yeah. 60 crews. Yeah, yeah. You know, that would be probably yeah. it. Yeah. But it was all handholding. There was, uh, there was a thing I was going to say to you about that. Up in, in Cohen here, eh? yeah. Oh, here, aye. Well, this... Apes, uh, Tom Apes, mm -hmm. he, he ended up down an isle there. Mm -hmm. Now, Tom Apes had gone crepistal farm up here oh, after, right. during the war, yeah, yeah. and he got this MTB and converted it for fishing, lobster fishing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how much gear they were working or anything, but it was hand hauling on that thing too. I think there was, I don't know, was it four or five engines that was in that boat when it was an MTB, <laughs> but he had taken it down to two. And he was fishing off around the north end here. And he went to Anchor. Where are we here now? This is the narrow sea. Mm. He, came, he came and he anchored up here, just not far from here. Skidavati, yeah. Just in there. Yeah. And uh, high water. Tide turned. <laughs> and the damn tide started falling. And what, there's a wee rope there. Yeah. He swung oh, around yeah. and landed on top of that rope. And the tide was still high. Oh, for goodness sake. So... It was double diagonal plank and it was in these uh, MTBs. Yeah. So if you settled on top of the rock and it, it cracked and burst some of the, the plank. But anyways, the tide was rising. They managed to keep the water out sufficiently that when the when it she did float off eventually, at that time the tide was near high. So he made a race across to here on the Queenish side. I don't know, do you know the, the back road going to Queenish? That's it there going round. Okay. See, the, this is oh, the, right. no, I've not this right. is what they call the island out here. Mm. Yeah. It's not actually an island. But if you go through where the gate is, where the two big walls are there, it's just down. Now, you'll see it to this day. He rammed her up that far onto the thing that, as Marky Dan said, when the pants he went on at Oban, when he shone the torch over the bow, he said there was sheep bloating back up at me. <laughs> but anyway, the stem was up on the, the stem was up on the shore here, right up on the grass, more or less. And they managed to lie her in. Oh, she was there for long enough. They patched her up, but they couldn't, she would never float. <laughs> so they dug a trench, and you'll see that trench to this day just in oh. there. Where they, and they had her propped up with trees, you know, yeah. poles. And when the tide, it, it was right, it was as high as it was going to be, they dropped the poles and let her fall into this thing and they got her off that right. Wow. That's it. But that was Tommy Epps. It was a, a, there's not many people today will know about no, that. No, no, no. Bad luck hitting Aye. that one rock. <laughs> Aye, oh, it was, it was very... There's another... Oh, you were talking about the Queenish yeah. shore and round about that. Yeah. There was things you want to know about a few of course, that would be amazing, yeah. There's, um, there's quite a lot. Uh, Queenish point. Where are we now? Um, so we're upside down. Oh, uh, so yeah, sorry. This is Queen here. Yes. Queenish. Queenish. Well, on the east side of the point, that's a point out that's there. It. Yeah. You can't see it on that one. Well, in there, just when you come to the east side, there's a bay called Briarick Bay. Mm -hmm. Now, they used to go from there to fish there with the the rods, you know, way, way back. That was, you'll see holes in the rocks that's made all round where they used to pound up the, the winkles and the, the mussels and that and, and feed them to the to the fish to get them to come in, you know. Gosh. But on that beach, you'll see if you go up 
there's a raised beach there. Mm-hmm. Now that beach happened the night of the Tay Bridge disaster. Really? Yeah. There was such a gale that night that it pushed all in the round stones, you know, mm-hmm. the shore yeah. stones. And you look at that and you can see it. It's covered probably in grass and moss, oh, but right. you'll see it. Now, when I remember at first, it wasn't, you know, nearly as bad as it will be now, but it was quite pronounced, you could see it. Now, all the old folks said, the wind, I think it was north east or something like that, but it was blowing straight into that bay, and that, that thing's there yet. Hmm. Now, if you're ever down there, look at it. Mm-hmm. But that Briac, that was uh, the kind Is of the right? place they used to go fishing from there. Like. Gosh. Aye, walking down there. Because uh, yeah, I suppose the tide, the tide running outside it, and it's great for fishing off yeah, the rocks. That place. But that was a, that was a, that was a, a major place. That oh. you know, uh, that's it in there. Mm-hmm. That's no, Briac yeah. in there. Yeah. Well, that's Briac in there. No, if you go down to Minsky, so Briac is that be that be break like sp- speckled, speckled. Briac, I don't know mm. what it would probably. Thank you but you get that, there's a trap goes right down there to there, mm. and that beach is there, just yep. round there. No, there's it, a bit of sand and then there's Aye, pebbles it, behind it. And right up there, mm. but you see the wind would be coming there, that way. Yeah, yeah. Now that was, everybody always talked about much. that, you know. There would, have been, there would have been a lot of boats, you know, rowing boats and sailing boats. Oh. So I've seen a postcard in Croig and there's ah. about half a dozen yeah, really? boats in there. Oh, everywhere yeah. was the same. There, but you see, up here in, at the Narrows, mm-hmm. um, yes. see there, that's, see, that's, there. That's see there, see that, that right. bit there. But see there, it shows you there on the track. See that track mm-hmm. coming down there. We used to go down there to fish. Yeah. They used to keep the boats there and there yeah. would maybe be half a dozen boats there. Yeah. On a Johnny Ferguson moving. used to keep his boat and father yeah. used to go out from that's, there. That's where he used to go from there. But that that's that's a place worth looking at if you ever got a chance. Mm. Let's look at that raised beach because mm-hmm. there's not many. But that was the Tay Bridge disaster. Mm. Remember I was telling you about the port down last Yes, that's where it is in there. Yep, that's where I thought that's it was. It. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Well, it's deep in there at that, just yep. before that point is, and they called it the port. Right. And the salmon used to come up here, the, the ebb would be still coming out, but they could make it up to that pool, mm. and they would wait there till the tide turned, oh, and yeah. it started going in, and they would go into the loch there, you know, that, mm. was, that was what they did. See that pier there? Yes, yeah, you can see That's that. what they called the big pier. Right. Mm. And it, there was wood. Used to be, I don't know, do you remember that? I remember the wood just sticking out. It was wood, and the puffers used to come in there. Really? Oh, yes. Gosh. And I remember being down there, and they used to bring all the coal for Dervig and these places, Mm. and they would have the horses and carts, Uh and the wee lorry from Bellacroy, and all that. And they would take it up and dump it just at the gate as you go out up towards the big house. And the, the, the lorry would be running back and forward to Derwig with mm. tons or two tons of coal to the various houses because they would buy a ton at a time. Mm. And that's what they used to do. I remember that perfectly well. It was it was, it was was quite amazing. There must have been a good few puffers in that crowd too because you're finding coal, you find coal and bricks yes, yes. Really? in the bottom yeah. of the... A lot of coal, coal right. wee bits of coal, yeah, yeah all over the place. Well, Kenny stirs it up when he goes out. Oh, yeah. the well, Croy there, um, Ian Campbell 
uh, that was married to Cathy, you know, Auntie. Yeah. He was from Aggie, and, and he came over there to work when he was just a boy when he left school with the McNabs, you know, that mm-hmm. got the monument out there. He was saying that the stuff that was produced out of Croig and Penmore at that time was unbelievable. It, they were sending away puffer loads of turnips, really? potatoes, and all sorts of stuff. Unbelievable. I mean, the ground's good. The air ground, you know, out, out the way out to air is good ground. Uh, what was it? Was it? Why the Robert Limerick? You know, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, she's in there. So Gordon, after he left college, did a year as a fisheries something or other down at Milford Haven. Mm-hmm. And there's a wee museum down there, and oh, he went, went into that and was looking at because mm-hmm. and there's Robert Limbrick on there, and he was chatting away to this chap, an oldish chap there, and said, "Oh yeah, his brother had been on Robert Limbrick," and before Gordon knew it, he was up at the graveyard, <laughs> up at the graveyard, and all over, around. Uh-huh. and he gave him loads. I've got got it in the house. He gave him loads of stuff. Yeah. About I mean. It was a phenomenal number of children left. Oh, it was fatherless. terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. Lot. Out of that. It was awful. Lot. Um, what period was that, 1930s or 40s? 50s, 50s, isn't it? 40s, uh, 50, 50, 57. Yeah. It was on the 5th of May, 1957. And, not May, but February. There was, I think it was three or four bodies. I went down there that day, but it was about lunchtime by the time I got down. And the bodies had been taken away. I think it was the Queenie's tractor and trailer that took them from the shore. But uh, the lifeboat was right up on the shore, all the fish, and it was miles up past the high water, normal high water mark. Yes. It was just terrible to see you on mm-hmm. line. And a few years ago, this guy got in touch with the museum from Milford Haven, asking if they had anything about it or if it was anybody new. And Gene Whittaker phoned me and uh, this guy, I was speaking to him on the phone, and his father was one of the engineers, I think it was. Right. And I had uh, found the log over, you know, it's one of the brass logs. Really? It, was, it must have been on the stern, and it was on the shore. I got it, and I took it home with me, and I had it in the shed all these years. Right. And when the guy phoned, and he was saying, you know, is there anything left of that boat? I don't think there's anything this or nothing. Uh, well, bits of, there's a wee bit of shaft. The, the uh, boiler's gone now, but the, no, there's just wee bits of metal. Is that so. All? so I said to him, well, I've got the, the log, and I'll send it to you. So he told me his address, oh, so right. I parceled it up, and I sent it to him. So that was nice. it. Yeah. But it was an awful tragedy. It was really was terrible. Yeah, yeah. The last body came ashore. We used to go down on a Sunday. About, they were all lying in there, just in there, inside where the boat was lying. Mm-hmm. And we were down here on the point, because there was one or two of the bodies got around there. And we were, we were just standing there, and the tide turned, and this body came out from that hole, right. you know, it just went right out past us. And, well, there was no boats, you couldn't do anything. Yeah. So it went round the point we were watching, it was going away up by the Murochnach there. Oh, so we phoned, when we got home, there was no mobile phone, mm. phoned the police and we told them, and they searched the shore the next morning and they got it just on the west side of the point right. at Sorn there, it was mm. in the shore. Now that was from the fourth, uh, the 5th of, of February to mm. the, 5th of May, you know. I've seen pictures of the 
of the boat lying, just lying, just the wrong side of that uh-huh. reef. But they've even been, well, I don't know whether they had, had they abandoned it before? Or? No, no, no. No, they were not. No, when, when uh, there was a day with a very low tide, not long after that, we went down and he hit there, right oh, in right. the point, uh-huh. right in that corner, because you could see where the rock was smashed yeah. away and then she swung uh-huh. round onto yeah. this and that's what she was like. I mean, she'd even... Oh, if you'd gone up here, they yeah. would have had a chance, yeah. or even into Lochmingery. But, but uh, even the following day, the sea uh, was huge. Well, that day when we were down, there was a um, trawler, the Ella Hewitt, but Scooney was uh, one of the Fleetwood skippers, and there was a cargo ship in distress down between Tyree and the Dutchman there, and uh, he went away down, and I mean, the swell was just yeah. horrendous, it yeah. was down there. And he got, must have got a hold of him, and he had the troll wire on him as a tow rope. Right. And he was towing him up round Kayak when we when we were down there. You could see him coming, and he was pumping oil oh onto the water, smooth to, it out. kind of smooth it out a wee bit. Mm-hmm. And he towed him right up past there and took him into Tivernmore. Mm-hmm. But she was a rust bucket, apparently. Yeah. She was just terrible, and it was Lasker that were crewmen on her, right. and they abandoned ship in the in the wood. <laughs> It was was a terrible day, that. That night before, the night of the gale, it was just horrendous. It started kind of in the southeast to the south that way, and then it just worked its way around, you know. Oh, it was was terrible. It was just, yeah, real. If it just managed to be the other side of that, it would have a wee chance of... I don't know, you, you just wonder... What mm. happened, you know? But th- well, it was again. It was pre-radar, and ah, it was. The, the, I remember the echo sounder was still in there, and it was what they used to call a ham's laser. It was a huge unit, huge unit, unit, mm. and a big dial in it. Mm. And it was like these wee ferrographs were, but mm. there was no paper in it. And as it mm. came round, it clicked. Yeah. And it flat when it was getting an echo back from the bottom, and you could see on the dial what yeah. the depth was. Yeah. You know, I remember that, right? You know, but it was the, one of the bodies was still aboard. Uh, I got him, he was down, it was one of the firemen, he was down in the cabin. They changed the name of the boat. That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember, I've got it through there, yeah. what she was called. She'd, be, she'd not been a lucky boat, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a tragedy. Then. It was there that. was another one, I think, in front of him, wasn't there, that got... Was it uh, the waste car. Yeah, it the was in front and got round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but what happened was, when they, when they were making for the sound of all here, see, the, there was no light in Armour at that time. All there was was the, the light at Runagal uh-huh. and the one in Arnamurach. Now, the kind of night it was, you would never see these yeah. lights, you know, and yeah. so especially the Arnamarachan one, you would close that as you came in, you yeah. know. They wouldn't see it anyway, so it, it, it was well to the to the west of where he should yeah. have been, but they, they were trying to stand off till the daylight came because they weren't sure of where they were, yeah, you know. Right. So I think this is what happened, and then they mm. just got into it. There's another one there too. Where are we? Queenish Point. Skerower. Ah, yeah, that was in the other bit here, Matt. Mm-hmm. It was um, a ring neck boat from the Clyde, somewhere around ne- 1950. And Skerower. Ah, yeah. They were steaming up from Loch Screeden with a load of herring. There was two, the two boats, the neighbours. And he hit it, he hit it just there, right, just on the on the, the north end, in the wee bit, right, you know, to where the rock was kind of high. There was five men on it, 
So his neighbour, it was black, blooming dark and blown a hole, but it was southeast east the wind. So there was nothing for it. He had to get them off. So he jammed her stem right into to the stern of the boat that was ashore, and the five men jumped across onto the stem, and he got her away, he got her away from the rock, but she had been damaged for it. You know that I don't. It wasn't that bad, but it, you know she was still floating in there. Mm. But that, if it wasn't for that, these men were lost. Mm. The next day she was still there, but she was smashing up with a swell, mm. and a bit of her went up to slapping in sky. Oh God! And the other bit came ashore on on, on the Queen's shore. Uh, I don't right. know. Yeah. No. You don't know that. No, 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 that's no, no. There was another one I was going to tell you about in the Skira Peak. Oh yeah. On that rock there, if that's the second one, mm. you know, not the first one, but the second yeah. one. He hit there. It was a smack. He was going. He came from uh, Tormoor Quarry at Finnefort to Glengorham with granite for building the castle when it was when they were oh, building right. the castle. And I don't know whether he got caught in, in bad weather, any whether he was trying to run into Croig, I don't know. But anyway, he hit on there. Now, I remember, I was telling you that before, you, I remember Alec Ban was showing us, you could look down and you could see the still slabs of granite there with the tang oh, yeah. growing out of them. And they were still there. They would have salvaged as much as yeah, they could, yeah. no doubt. But wow. it was, uh, did you ever see that? No, I never saw it. But... It's just a wee pool at the back yeah. of that. That's... Yeah. In most rock there. Wow. I could go up to it tomorrow. I know yeah. exactly where it is. But you, it's it it'll be difficult now because there'll be a lot of yeah. barnacles and tangles. Right? But you could yeah. see the way the square cut stones yeah. and you see that's that's the stones. Huh? So there you go. There's been a few a few yachts on <laughs> over the Gosh. not so much I mean now see with the satellite navigation now is Really, oh, yeah, really, anyone that goes on yeah. something now is 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 seriously. But I mean, the yachts used to go quite often. Go in there, coming in. Yeah, anchor, I, was just, I was going to tell you about Alec Barnes, <laughs> uh, experience Aye. with the mine during the war. Oh yeah, uh, it was. Uh, they were up at the house, and they were see, seeing this black thing bobbing in. Coming close to where the house is yonder, and they made out they've got it's a bloody mine, and this this was during the war, so got into the boat the like man and rowed out, got a rope on the mine, mm-hmm. and towed her out a good bit, so that when she was coming ashore she would come ashore on the you know because <laughs> the record if she if it had hit where it was coming towards the the. The police at Queenish, it would have blown up the blooming house he was living in. That's what they were writing it. Aye, that, it was it. Well, I don't know that. Aye. The cuckoo house is full of it's long there, isn't it? Aye. Not much left of it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I towed it away. Aye, that's right. He tied it, towed it down past this gear, and I think she went in there. But they're fearful things, you are terrible mm-hmm. things, these mines. Oh, yeah. We've seen one in, we came across one in the uh, back of Ulva one time. Uh, who were anchored in, in the in uh, Craggy Bay there with yeah. the wee cottages and we went for a walk we would do that you know in a wee rubber dinghy and uh, here we round towards the sands there yeah. here's this blooming mine on the shore uh, these were first world war mines and the casings on them were getting rotten you know but anyway it was up in the shore up in the rocks it was and it, oh god we went down for a loop and 
the canister inside, which was a huge canister mm. full of explosive, and the nitro was running out of it down the rocks. <laughs> and thought, well, we'll get out of here quick. So we <laughs> yeah. backed off. Threw rocks at it and ran. <laughs> <laughs> so we left it and went back to the boat, and I called over and radio uh, at that time, and I told them about it, and they said they would deal with it, get the Navy or whatever came up, bomb disposal. But anyway, Hugh McPhail was telling me afterwards, it must have been the morning after we had seen it, they were out gathering in in Alva, and Archie Lord, Archie Livingston, as they called him, was gathering the shore. And did the bold Archie know see the bullion mine? And off he went down to the to look at it with the tackety boots on him. <laughs> a little bit sparky. bit spark and the stick. And he's whacking the mine like this. <laughs> and away went. But Hugh was saying, if one of these sparks had ignited that, could you imagine? Well, you know, they blew that thing up where it was, the Navy, yeah. and you should have seen the hole that blew yeah. in the rock. Yeah. Oh, my God. We had a, another experience with a mine. It was <laughs> when Ian had the fair maid. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, what we used to call the tangle hole, just... As you come through the Iona Sound, there was a, a, a bit, and it was good for prawns, but the tangle used to lie in it, you know, it was washed in the winter day. Anyway, we're towing up and down there, and oh, he insisted me, well, heavens, an awful bag of stuff here and again. <laughs> we can't do anything with it. Do you think you can come over and give us a lift? So we're the Manx Beauty at the time, and I mean, there were only a lift, lift and pool, there was nothing, but anyway. We got a, a, a hold of the, the net with him and both winches and we managed to ease up. We got the blooming thing up. Oh, the whole cod end and up the bag was just full of this tangle and sand and weed. So anyway, we managed to fleet it up till we got to the cod end and lifted the cod end aboard. And when they opened the cod end, bang onto the deck, a huge bloody mine. <laughs> And the casing was rotting in it. And what do you the, do? Well, you couldn't run unless that. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the horns in it were kind of, some of them were broken off, and you could see the wires, you could see the, the, this oh, thing inside, this huge blooming whip canister. Anyway, what are we going to do with this? No, and it was, well, I'll tell you what happened. We didn't see the mine. I'm wrong about that. We didn't see the mine, but the monk tangle when we were out there. So we headed for the pier at, at uh, Benesen, and it was only when they when they started letting the, the, the net off the thing. Here's the mine. So they said, what the hell are we going to do now? We'll blow up half of Benesen, this. <laughs> so, well, it was, I know there was one or two of the crew know what happened. <laughs> Hiding behind the wheels and things like that, but anyway, because that would help. <laughs> we uh, we decided, Ian, I then we'll try and lift it and get it back over the side. So we went away out to to the lighthouse yonder. We managed to ease, ease it up between the boats. John Walsh, one of these boys, would ease it up, let her over the side, and let her onto the bottom. I open it and I float. So the boys then the disposal crowd came up and they lifted it. And they took it up to, I think it was towards school or there somewhere, but I remember them saying in Benesen, they, they told them to open the windows, a lot of them, it wasn't any houses, mm. not that far away, and they let it rip, and I suppose the, the explosion was just... <laughs> so that was my experience with mines. When you see, you know, what they can do, because, with, you know, I was looking at that uh, up in Orkney, um, the boat that went round the top of Orkney off, and hit a mine, 
it, it got various big wigs on on board it, and oh, it was a yes, massive it, destroyer. That's right, aye. and it aye. totally demolished. You know, a huge power in one of those mines. Aye. Well, absolutely, but it would hiding behind the wheelhouse would not have. <laughs> Well, that just, <laughs> it was quite comical, that one. <laughs> 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 well, I've seen this downtown in the kayak there, and we used to get depth charges sometimes. I'm going to do with them. But usually they were, the top part of them would be rotted off, but the primer was still there and part of the, of the explosives as well, you know. But oh, I don't know if they were dangerous. There was another thing I was going to tell you about, uh, about the kayak side there. There was a, a boat there. She was running out of Croy to call a tiree. And she was called at the call packet. It was just ferry, ferries out of uh, Croy or back. They would come back and forward there. Now, that boat was coming in past the kayak point one day and it was a heck of a gila wind and she found her there. Now, there was, they were all lost there. There were some of them buried. Huey told me, my uncle Huey, that there were some of them buried up in the cemetery at, at Kilmore, the old cemetery oh, there. Right. But anyway, when we started the troll there, and we were trolling there with the monk's beauty, and I got this lump of oak. It was a knee. I couldn't understand. I thought first maybe this is something of the Aranya, but it wasn't. So I took it home anyway, and I had it in the smiddy, and uh, Huey was up one day, and he was looking at it, and he said, where did you get that? And I said, down at Kayak. thought it was off the Aranya, but I can't be, I said, I don't know, that's definitely not that kind of wood. Oh, he said, that's part of that coal packet that was lost. And it was then I got the, the history of what happened there. But as, so there were some of our people who used to run it out of Croy. You were telling me, in fact, you reckoned it was built in Cooen, in... Uh, uh, Miri Flora. Yeah, down at the. Uh, uh, Miri Flora. Yeah, down uh, there at the wee boat uh, yard. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. They were, um, they, they were work. They had. They they were repairing boats and doing all sorts yeah, of work down, down there. there. When did that stop? Do you think? I have no idea. There's a sewer pit still there. Yeah. You know, mm, well, mm. it's not there. I don't now. know. It's gone now. It's gone now, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Do you know anything of the graveyard that's there as well at all? No, I don't. Because uh, there's a there's a graveyard beside it that was uh, supposedly a, a fever graveyard, I think. And what I'd heard said in the past was that the bodies were brought in from Dervik by sea, and they're in coffins lined in. Was it wax they're lined in? Well, lead. Lead. Somebody lead, lead uh, yeah. Or they tarred them. That's it. yeah. I think yeah. Um, and yeah, so the, the bodies are, are there. To they, they covered them in hay and, and and tarred them. Yeah, because it was. Oh, what they called a plague. I don't know what it would have been, but there was a girl at work in, in the Toroy's big house. She was from uh, Kalahuan there. Uh -huh. And that was my great-grandfather's time. And uh, she she died. And they reckoned it was this plague and the moody wouldn't hear her. They wouldn't yeah. touch her. Yeah. So I don't know how the guy over there got in touch with my granddaughter, but him and Charlie went up with a coffin and they put her in the coffin and they wrapped it in this hessian yeah. and tarred the whole lot of Gosh. it and took it back with took, uh, took it back over there with the scuff. But no I don't know anything about that, I don't know that. I've I've read about that coal packet somewhere too. Like no. Ian made a model. Yeah, yeah, you were telling me that. Yeah, she had it up there. I don't know what happened there. Mm. It had a square stern on it too, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. And they ran the posts from 
Aye, and here. passengers from Croig to Darnagel. So they ran the post from Tob to Croig and then... Posts used to walk from here or wherever it was to Grass Point and then they would get ferried over to, to Kerara, I think it was, and yeah. then go from there to... Yeah. That was... Anything else you want to say, sorry, about uh, the coastline? Any of the names that stick out to you as well? That the names that might be disappearing now in terms of like what your family would have called different rocks and things like that. Is there any that stick out that you're? Well, that one it, down below, like the Barnes House there. Uh, where are you at with that? Yeah, aye, that one out there was um, aye, the Jerrocks here. Yeah. That's what they called that one. Aye, the Jerrocks get out there. We've, we've always just called that Alec Barnes Reef. <laughs> on some of the rocks here, when the tide's out and when you've been working in the oysters, I've sometimes come down to see you, and there's it's that, that those wee ones there, there's kind of markers or something on the top of those, kind of like... Oh, yeah. But do, you, do you know what the origin of those are at all? They're kind of no, like stacks of stones. Unless somebody would have put these on, you know. They were guiding, they're guiding what? stones, for sure. Oh, stones, I see. Yeah, you know, like... like oh. um, well, it's cairn, like a cairn on top of the Charlie, you know, islands. My, my granduncle Charlie, he took a puffer up here, all the way, one of the wee puffer, right up to Bilahuati there below uh, Glenview. And there's a wee jetty there, just a wee jetty. But that is a right away, that Bilahuati, all the way from the, from the road going to Cohen, below the, the wall. You know what George McFarlane and them stay? Yes, yeah. You know, well, that lane that was down there, that went all the way to the shore. Now, that used to be quite open when I remember it first, but I think it's overgrown with trees now mm. down at the bottom mm. end there. But uh, now that, that, they, they used to take the the stuff up, up from there, mm. uh, you know, like the, whatever they were getting to come in. And the, see this place here, and I better remember this too. See up at the top here at this where the cuckoo house was that? Yes, cuckoo yeah, house. there's cuckoo house. Aye. See that see that wee bay in there? Mm-hmm. No. That gate bay is called Poir. Mm-hmm. And in there you'll see it's built right round. And that was one of the places where they would take the smacks in with stuff for Dervig. Mm. That was that was a very important place, but over the years it's kind of silted up now. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Monster, the there's, a wee, uh, there's, there's, there's quite a bit in that. There's a lot of stuff in that area. Because if you look at it, the wee, is that, I'm not sure whether that's the wee kind of harbory, but inside, yeah. And then then there's there's guts in here, and that's right, even further up. Aye. The remains of a keel lying in one of those. Aye, that's right. There was, they had yachts. The the, the, oh, the right. Queenish people, I think, used to have it. And there's a stone wall which yeah. is a going cr- across this. That's bit a here. carry. That's, that's a carry. What, but it must it must have come down, or it must. Oh, aye, but it it hadn't been up for years. But you, you can see it going right across the centre. Mm-hmm. Now down there, there's two walls. You'll see, and they, it was a place they used to take the smacks in to clean the bottoms. Mm. They were saying. It's quite pronounced that you could see it very clearly. And over where am I here now? See where I see where the cliff. See where it comes round here. Mm-hmm. You've got a cliff on this wood round here. Yeah, yeah. Now they used to keep cattle on this place when they were bringing them in from the islands. 
and there's a, there's a ruin there right against the cliff, quite a big ruin. And Huey was saying that was a place where the, mm-hmm. the drovers must have been staying, you know, when the, uh, when, when the cattle in there. Because if you notice the walls round that thing are high, mm-hmm. and they were they were there for that reason, there must have been... But that's Polach in there. And that's the bit you're talking about there, isn't it, Nick? That can wall you see there. it? Yeah. You can yeah. see it. Oh, you can see it, right? Uh, well, but it's, it doesn't come to the surface. I have a very low tide, you'll see it. Mm, you should yeah. do. Because uh, I remember seeing it. Oh, there was a gap in it he used to go through with the boat, um, you know, to, yeah. when he was going up to where the cool houses. But that... So yeah, that was a car, you right. Uh, yeah. He used to say... That might, might be quite an old one, that one. Then. Oh, it's old. But he was saying that the, the old folk used to say they used to get herring in that carry. Really? Uh, oh, aye. But there was that many herring in these yeah. days. You know, they were going into all so these right. And it's the same. If you look at Loch Beak, uh, over in Loch Screed, and at the, at the top then there... And that Loch Beak, there was there was a carry there too, and that would be the same because the herring used to go in, the sprats yeah. used to go in there yeah. as well, you know. So you know all these places where these carries were, they were there for a very good yeah. reason. Yeah. I mean, they were getting salmon and sea trout and things in them too, I'm sure. But you know, they got all there was that much fish in these days. Oh, there's one down at the bottom end of Loch Ruin as well, isn't there? Uh, oh, that's the big one. Well, that's that the one that goes over there, isn't it? Sure, your one, the big one. Went across there, carry wall. Aye, oh aye, that was <laughs> Our crowd looked after it, apparently, apparently since my great grandfather's time. Uh, he was born in, 19, in 1826 and he was in there in 1850, so it must have been something after that. And they used to uh, build it and watch it and all the rest of it. It was built in such a way, you know, it was built as it came away from the Carry Island, round like that. Now, this bit that narrowed in here, that was a gate. If the spring, t- if, if, the, if the deep tides would come on, it wouldn't cover the carry at all itself. So they would open so much of these stones down in the, uh, to let the water through mm-hmm. and any fish it wanted to go. And you, would, you wouldn't get many, I suppose, but you would get some, you know. And that's that, there's two, there was another gate further over towards the other side as well. But oh, everybody got fish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing you could do with them. No. And that went on for years, that. One of the stories that came up previously as well, um, in fact, it was your sister uh, told me when I saw her, um, she said to ask you about it, was when you were on, was it the Aquila when she was new and the electrics gave out? Was that right? Someone said you'd steered through Kalakin and all the way down blind. Oh, I would, well, <laughs> you would do that anyway, you know, it was because what used to happen up on the... Any navigation equipment went to hell with the power lines that was up there and it would knock them out for quite a while, you know. Right, okay. I, oh, I, we used to do that, that, but that was nothing. He just did these things. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Uh, oh, no, we never... You never sort of thought anything of it. That's what you did in these days, you know. I mean, it was pre-all the electronic stuff that you've uh, got. No. I, I mean, even, even, even... I mean, when I think now we were out took it off to the Treasure Islands in that launch with nothing. Nothing? Uh, there was a pair of oars yeah. that might have got, <laughs> might have got you home. <laughs> might have got you home, but a ten-horse Kelvin engine and uh, and no radio, no... That was another thing I was meaning to say to When I was young, they, they used to go down, I like Ban and my father and a few of them, it was a bit of a spree to, to fish 
the the small lines at the kayak for flounders and stuff like that. And Johnny Noble was usually on the go and the lechon and that lot. So they would go down arm to the teeth with bottles and whatnot. And they would have the lugworm for bait and mm. bait up the, mm. the the small lines. You had to go an hour before the low water uh-huh. and lift it an hour after the high water, after the, the low water. So you had about two hours. So the, net, the line got short into the Johnny Noble and, and the Lechan and the Bothy and a good few drums going there. So by this time, it would be time to go out and hold in it, the, the lines to go out and hold it. And you should have seen the size of the flounders that were getting plenty of them. So when that was finished, in back again to the Bothy and so many of the flounders would be taken out, there'd be place and stuff like that. They would be gutted straight into the pan. Now some of them, there wouldn't be enough room in the frying pan to fry enough for everybody, so some of them would be getting them boiled. <laughs> and then the rest of the drums would go, you go back home, I don't know what time they'd be, but it was a great deal, that, you know, that was, but the, the amount of fish it was there yeah. at that time, even when we started trolling there, you were getting, oh, turbot, they would be bigger than mm. a fish box, you know. Huge things. It was there was a lot of fish there. Right? And so Don Lechon was Mary Flora's son. That's yes. Aye. Yep. From aye. and Johnny Noble and, the, and him used to fish the kayak. kayak back, so that, the bothy was at the kayak salmon station. I believe that's collapsed. I mean. It's gone as well. Mm-hmm. What a so his Ped's one is hanging on there with uh, the rope round it, but it's just about gone. It was that that, that kayak. Dolpan, oh, he would be a grand uncle, I suppose. Same as Alec Pan's brother. And uh, he was fishing at Kayach with the Yules, maybe, or some of that, or the Mitchells, mm. maybe. It's a long time ago, you mm. And uh, he was talking about the amount of fish they used to get there. It was well, fantastic. Yeah. It was just, and he, he was saying, see, when you come down to the gate at Kayach, mm-hmm. If you look on the left hand side, there's a wee burn comes down yonder. And today it's just reeds and all this stuff in it. Now these that was all cleared out, and these were ponds. And they were they were only shallow. And in the winter time, when it when it froze, they would break up that ice and put it in carts, take it down. And there's a nice house beside the bothy. Yeah, fantastic. At, at kayak, you know, it's dug in, yeah. and they would fill that up, mm. and that's what they used for the summer, salmon in the summer time. They kept all the way through uh, ice. Yeah, ice. I think he, they, even Terry was using that for a while, wasn't he? He may a little bit just to keep I, just to keep I, ice to keep in, in it. it. Oh, uh, aye, aye, to keep it. And I'll tell you what, there was other ones exactly the same. Was over at uh, Fastgrill, yeah, and they've got a huge building there. It's as big as this, this room uh-huh. and high, and it's built back into a bank. And they used to do the same thing to these ponds, break the ice up, cart it down, and there was a door up high on this uh, thing, and they would be coping the ice in there. Mm-hmm. And they would, and that's what they were using all summer too. So that, you know, you think these folk in these days of Achor, yeah. now the That's bloody clever. How they were taking the salmon away at that time from there... The boats that were going to Staffa with the passengers from Oban would stop there and they would go out mm. and put the boxes aboard. Mm. Brilliant. That's what they used to do. Reciprocal trade. Yeah. Aye. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of rowing as well, all the same, because um, I remember 
uh, Katie and her sisters talking about oh, you know, getting blisters from Ooh. doing all the rowing out. Because they'd have to row them out to the steamer. Yeah. Um, I've even heard that they rowed it from Carrick round to Tub. Oh, yes, yeah. aye. 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 Well, there was, it was hard going. See, they had an eight at yes. Sunable. Yeah, aye. They'd won at Sunable and they'd won at Kaya, you know, and, well, before the, before the engine started, you'd just row up and down there, you know, and that, that was it. The lights that Fascadale one. Was that Ian McLeod, the Conservative? Uh, aye, that Ian McLeod's brother. So a lot of these... Roderick. Ah, that's it, Roderick. it was his brother. Aye. A lot of these sites were owned by people, not not always by local people, but... People that wasn't a that wasn't a crown fishing. Was it no, that private? That was a private. The, the powdies were there previously yeah, to that. Barony, barony fishing. They took a tremendous amount of fish over there. Yeah. You know. They used to send them over from Colohoan and the Loch Bui and these boats, uh, and they went away from here on the ferry the next morning. You know, yeah. that was, that's how it worked. But they they had the, the ice, but you know that was extraordinary. Aye. I would never have thought that. There was a salmon fishing in Coon as well at one time. There was pins in the rock. Tommy was fishing there. Yeah, Tommy fished there, but Aye. on the inside there was there's I've seen pins on you know the bay, the sandy bay, and yeah. there's a bit that sticks out. Mm-hmm. And on the far end of that, there's there's pins in that rock, yeah, yeah. Unless somebody was trying it, you know. Oh, they might have tried Aye. it. I think that's probably what it was. Yeah, Tommy was right on, right on just the on the inside, mm-hmm. Tommy and Jim. Jim, Jim, just, Aye. Yeah. Jim Spence, that's right. Aye. I remember that well. <laughs> well, there's another thing I was going to say. Aye, we used to hand line for cod in that kayak bank, too. That would be huge, cod Big cod, brutes of cod. Yeah, well, big as a boot. Well, even when, I, when we came, there was... You had to fight your way through the the, the big uh, coolies to get aye, to the cod. Right? Okay. Aye, yeah, just on the bank there. And they just disappeared. Everything just oh, what just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to be found there. And we used to get them, you know, west of the kayak, Nick, where you're on the sand dunes are. Yep. And the, the marks for that, I was thinking of the other day. It was something to do with the North Islands. You know, you closed them in till you got. Either I don't know was it railing or I part of Iona. It was uh, it was somewhere down there, and the kayak bank, the marks for the kayak bank, were the puzzle monkey as yes. I was <laughs> And you closed that down till you were yeah. just seeing it, yeah. and then the the, the glen that was out through with the yes. big wall is at kayak there out to the yeah. post the past and then there. You closed that down, and he used to say, close her down till you would just put a horse on car. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, Biggie, and telling me that. <laughs> Aye, Keep the monkey to... puzzle open. And, uh, I just opened. And, and, and uh, it's spot, spot at the top of the shallowest bit of that mm, bank out there. Exactly. It's extraordinary. Uh, but you can go there now, but I don't think you'll find any cod no. there now. Because there was something. Well, I was, we used to go down Wallet there, and... Oh, well, you would have to stop in the end. And what they used for for bait was the crab. You, you took the inside of the crab and you had sheep's wool and you wound the, 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 the sheep's wool round this bit of crab that was on the thing, be coming out through the sheep's wool. Deadly, that, for sure. Really? Oh, that was deadly for God, that. They just, they would go for that every time. Aye. The rippers, was it? 
And a bit of lead with the hooks coming Aye. out. Yes, that's right. Mm. He used to make them in the smiddy, these. My father used to. Yeah. He used to cut a, a thing out in the floor, you know, the shape mm. of, of, of the, the thing. And then it's it's a packed earth floor, as you would call it. It was cinder and that. Now. Yeah. But it was all... And Aye, he would, he would boil the lead. And you had to have something with a long handle in it. Because when you put the lead into the thing, if it was dampness and it would be steaming, splattered up, yeah. you had to watch what you were doing. And he used to make the leads there. And I remember he made a lead one time, he got a bit of a mirror and wow. he put the mirror in the grove and then he put the lead into it. And it was shiny. He used yeah. to write and it was an awful good beat. An yeah. awful good day. Well, it's a better it. diet we had. <laughs> I was having to buy tin salmon out of the co-op. Oh, <laughs> um, I was fishing. We were fishing the long lines as well with Robin Cole. Oh yes, yes. When Robin had uh, got the valley in at first, and uh, he had got, got a dose of this long lines and by the cheeses, that was some job. Mm. We we shot them across the whole our moor there, you know, it's over, and that was hand hauling. We had to hand haul them everywhere. Mm. And you used to get on big granny skate, mm. you know, they were massive things. <laughs> and honest to goodness, your back was nearly broken before mm. you get on things up. Mm. I remember we got 25 at the kayak one day. Huge. They were huge. Okay, you would keep a few, but you'd let most of yeah. them go. It wasn't, you, for, you didn't get very much for them, you know. They were, I don't know why. But you used to get skate, plenty, plenty of skate, you know. But that was it. But hand hauling them. Mm. Yeah, we used to get them. The, those big ones in the tangle nets, as yeah, the, the crayfish. Uh, but some of the some of them were huge. Ah, uh, they were massive, massive. We've got a lot in Calgary, in Calgary uh, Bay. Ah, uh, they were everywhere. These. Yeah. I don't know what to. Well, that, the wee skate are really nice eating, actually. You know, oh, the wee skate's good. The thornback is yeah. good. Uh, or even young blondes, as they call them. Mm. Used to get good ones down off of Calgary. These blonde skate, they were they were bigger than the thorn bark, you mm. know, and they were oh, it was lovely meat that was on there. Mm. Used to enjoy that. Oh, oh. One's got a lovely turbot in the tangle net off the Dutchman. I remember, I can I can see that turbot? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was really fed the two two families. Oh, it, was, <laughs> it was a good one. Aye, oh, they were good When you came up first, I don't know if you remember it. I was showing you how to put eyes in a creel outside the smiddy. Do you remember that? I remember you saying unkindly that a lobster would break its neck before it got into one of our creels. <laughs> <laughs> Which was fair comment, I think. I think it was um, a weird and wonderful thing that we started with. But I mean, you guys were great, and before long we were making. Yeah, you know, making reasonable creels. Oh, you were good at the creels then. Yeah. Aye. I it's, all, it's just like anything else. You've got to learn how to do it, you know. It was, and it was an, I think that's the, the variety that's missing now. And it's not a criticism, I mean, of my own son even. But the variety isn't there now. They fish, fish, fish. Aye. You know, the, the, the creel making, there was a lot of crack yeah. that went. Yeah. With that and a lot of skill in making them, uh, and then there were other things, yeah, because 
you know, if the lobsters weren't moving or weren't on, especially in a wee boat, you'd, you'd go and do other things in, in the winter time. I think that one and that's that, gone. That bit is gone. Yeah. The variety of work, maybe. I think that what's wrong with a with a fishing in lots of ways. You know, as you say, you, you know, you would you would be at lobsters, you would be at prawns, you'd be at various other things. Everything got a chance to rest. Yes, mm. yeah. but nowadays, really, you're, and it's it, as you say, it's not a criticism of anybody. But the thing is. You're pigeonholed with this licenses that you get yeah. nowadays. You know, at one time we've got a license to fish, well, for fish, anything yeah. you wanted to fish for. But nowadays you only yeah. get shellfish licenses, you get pelagic licenses, yeah. you get white fish, you know. And once you're in that pigeonhole, you're there. Yeah. You know. And there is a lot of pressure on them now to, you know, like Liza Kenny, to keep the thing going all the time, every yeah. week. Yeah. I mean, the license itself is, is crazy money, really, for oh, for, for what it is. And um, but I think they, I think that variety, and maybe that variety is good because it it didn't you didn't get stale. You didn't really ever get stale. And you look forward to that bit. You know, you look Somebody forward else. to those months of, of where the the lobsters would be on yeah. the go, yeah. and then the the months where they were quieter, where you would make. make I mean, you couldn't. I don't know. I think you could make about two or three creels maximum from start to finish in a day. Oh, why? You I, weren't you yeah. weren't churning things out by any na- in great no. numbers. I think that's true. I think once they started with the, with the steel creels and yeah. you could just go on the phone and order a hundred tomorrow. You know what? It was a different thing, yeah. and you had to be very careful with your gear. Yeah, when you had the old wooden gear. Exactly, you couldn't. Just leave the gear anywhere. Yeah. You yeah. had to put that, if you were off for the weekend, yeah. you had to shelter that gear so that it would be there on Monday. Yeah. I actually didn't have the time to make a new one. No. Well, and also, I mean, the, the, the nature of a wooden creel is it wants to float. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes. It, uh, yeah. it wants to go up the shore if you give it half a chance. Uh-huh. Um, um, and so, yeah, you're right. So nothing was left no. in, in, in the wild places. So the wild places always got... That's very true. And the weather, the weather had a lot of influence on where you would be fishing with that type of gear. You know, you couldn't just go and put it anywhere. And well, if you lost it, you were. But again, you know, I mean, these still. I mean, Kenny's paying about eighty pounds a crew. I mean, that's another bit of a, if you like, another bit of having to keep going because you know, yeah, investment in that. I'm sure before you put them in the ropes, now there'll be another 10 yeah. or 15 quid on top of that. You know, ropes are made of oil, oil's through the roof, so all that just keeps on going up. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I very much appreciate it. Edit that, that's all that all, last bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's <laughs> Don't keep any of that. Thank you both very yeah. much. Thank you so much, gentlemen. There's so, 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 so much in there. I never knew about the ice houses and how they worked. I think that's a real, real find. I've been out and about on the islands a lot recently, and it's brought back to me why I'm doing these podcasts. I was standing on the boat going over to Iona the other day when a gentleman said out loud, what a strange place to choose to live. 
And then I've been stuck behind umpteen cars who seem to be oblivious to the highway code, which states to allow overtaking on single-track roads. It's very frustrating. We all want you to enjoy your holiday. It's it's wonderful here, but please pull in and let people pass. Please. So that brought back to mind why I'm making these podcasts. Our island communities are not shortbread to be devoured and then remembered nostalgically. They're living, vital communities, with people with a wide variety of stories to tell. They're communities with issues, communities struggling to survive, and communities succeeding and innovating too. We don't live in Brigadoon. We're not going to disappear back into the mist next time the full moon shines. Our communities have a voice, and a voice that's interesting, and one which needs to be heard. Talking of being out and about, I found myself in need of lunch when passing through Salon the other day, and so I stopped in at The Taste of Mull on the old road at Salon. I had a freshly cooked, locally sourced minute steak on onion roll for my lunch. It was magic. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations, so if you feel like it and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even the price of a 25 litre tub of hydraulic oil, which I had to buy this week to fix our digger. Actually, don't do that, that's too much. Through the website. You'll see a donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. But don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listened than you didn't. And if you wanted to sponsor any of these episodes to come as a business, please feel free to drop me a line, obviously. And on that note, thank you so much to Margaret, Katrina and Viv. Thank you all so much. Your support means a great deal to me. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you wanted to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be really grateful. And thank you to those of you that have. I really, really appreciate it. And also, thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thanks. As ever, the webpage whatwedointhewinter.com has all the links and info you'll need from this episode, and we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and that's my phone, and Instagram. Before I go, a happy 40th birthday to Kenny Turnbull. Happy birthday. And also, all the very best to Willie Logan. I hope, hope your recovery is swift. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Zelda Sawyer who Zelda passed away in her 91st year at the end of last month. Zelda was a dear friend to many of us in the village and beyond. Those of us that got to know Zelda were very, very lucky to do so. She was a truly magical person, and she'll be very, very much missed. This episode is dedicated to Zelda. Morning, thing. Shinnick day.